0: I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Tammy Bruce. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, April 20th, 2020. I'm Trey Yinks. While the Western world sees its medical facilities pushed to new limits, some areas of the Middle East are desperately searching for international assistance.
1: Our program revolves around helping children who, because of violence or political complexity, do not have the things they need survive. When coronavirus hit, uh, within just a few days, we had to change uh, our model to address this menace. This is the Fox News
0: Rundown, Global Pandemic. The coronavirus is reportedly spreading among refugee populations in the Middle East, though a lack of testing is making it difficult to pinpoint just how bad the outbreak is. With millions of civilians displaced as a result of ongoing conflicts, the possibility for a catastrophic humanitarian emergency is increasing each day. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak, and hear from Steve Gumer, the president of Partners Relief and Development. Starting first though in Turkey, the country is struggling with a rise in new cases as fresh video shows a thousand bed hospital being built on the grounds of an airport in Istanbul. The government issued a lockdown this weekend for 31 provinces and put into place new age restrictions on who can go outside. Turkey's health minister announced the total number of positive COVID-19 results rose to over 85,000. One area of concern is the vast amount of Syrian refugees in the country, many of whom are uniquely vulnerable amid the pandemic. Turkey has overtaken Iran now for the most number of cases in the Middle East. The Iranians, meanwhile, are reopening some parts of the country though more than 1,000 new cases are coming in each day. The Iranian economy remains under heavy international economic sanctions. The Iranians are reporting over 82,000 total cases, though the true number is likely much higher. Finally, in Afghanistan, reports say 40 people have tested positive for COVID-19 at the presidential palace of Ashraf Ghani. Afghanistan is reporting around 1,000 total cases, but needed testing isn't feasible or available, in part due to widespread Taliban control. So how can coronavirus be properly treated in areas of the world that are living amid active conflict?
1: For 26 years, we've been working in Myanmar and the surrounding countries, and then since 2012 in Iraq and Syria and Yemen. And coronavirus caught us all by surprise, just like everyone else in the world, I guess.
0: This is Steve Goumer, the president of Partners Relief and Development. He joins us today from Norway.
1: And... We rapidly had to change our program delivery model away from relief. Our our programs all revolve around helping children who, because of violence or political complexity, do not have the things they need to survive. Um, When coronavirus hit, uh, within just a few days, we had to change uh, our model to address this menace and uh, that's what we've done. So in, the, in, in Southeast Asia, uh, though our our staff members are working from home, all of our uh, projects are led by local people, and those projects are continuing um, in Bangladesh with the Rohingya people. Um, it's about education, PPE, and um, and wash stations, and doing the things we can contribute to the other. Excellent work being done by NGOs there, uh, and then in uh, the ethnic states of Myanmar, it's the same thing. We've trained um, about 700 village health workers in, in different ethnic states, and those village health workers, instead of just taking care of the acute medical needs that are ongoing because of you know a lack of healthcare access, now they're turning. They've turned their daily routine into. Um, concentrated efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus, and then in the Middle East, um, it's been a lot harder um, because of the distance between us. Uh, but our local contacts in the northeast of Syria, in the Kurdish-controlled semi-autonomous area, uh, are are continuing to work with the self-administration um, on measures to protect. Um, vulnerable communities and displaced families from the ongoing conflict uh, in the north from the increased um, complexity or the increased threat of coronavirus. Uh, I mean, that's really added to the already uh, troublesome process of surviving um the attack of of Turkey and, and um Turkey's militias, supported militias. And, and that, getting and getting into South- that,
2: you looking at your work in Syria and the Hospital, there was a headline in Business Insider this week that said coronavirus could kill a hundred thousand people in Syria's Idlib region. There's obviously a lot of challenges that your team is going to face on the ground. How have you prepared the hospitaner to address some of those challenges amid this unique pandemic?
1: Well, if you remember back in January, February, it was a conflict zone and a lot of Idlib was reduced to rubble because of that conflict area. Um, and we had already begun the process of getting permission to get the hospitaner deployed. It's a mobile hospital. And, um, and just when we were getting permission from the Ministry of Health uh, with our local contacts negotiating that process, Uh, that's when the coronavirus really came on the scene, and and we included that in our request to diagnose and and care for people. Um, That took a while, but we we have permission for that now, and we've just got supplies um, on a UN cargo shipment. Uh, that's destined eventually for Idlib in the next few days with the PPE, the personal protective equipment that those um, medical personnel and doctors need. Um, And they have told me already that they've seen a number of of patients that present with symptoms uh, that indicate coronavirus, but until now, testing is not possible. Um, But you may know also that there is a lab set up in Idlib uh, for testing, and we're, we're doing everything we can to to get access to that process so that we can uh, definitively diagnose COVID-19 uh, and also um, uh, have a, a more routine process with the people that are diagnosed to, to isolate and distance them.
0: You've been listening to Steve Gumer, the president of Partners Relief and Development. We'll be right back after a short break.
2: And I understand some of the information around this is sensitive because you are working on the ground in Syria. But when it comes to sourcing tests for COVID-19, how do you go about doing this? I mean, actually getting these tests on the ground to the front lines of, like you said, a place that was in the midst of an active conflict earlier this year.
1: Yeah, we had an order in place already. To bring test kits to the hospital and and also to some of the medical facilities that were still active in the area, um, but we had to cancel that order because WHO and uh, the Assad regime uh, have have made a different deal or a different process in order to get test kits uh, available and a lab in you know the places where it's likely to be a hot spot. Operating, Idlib province is one of them. Damascus, of course. Um, So we're in in the south of Syria. We're doing everything that is within our power to do uh, with the with the incredible of violent complexity and political complexities of what's happening there.
2: And just take me back a little bit into your founding of this organization and, and what you have put into it and, and sort of the agenda. I think what I've found so interesting about it is there really is no political agenda. It's a humanitarian agenda, and you're operating in uh, such politically divided regions, but able to operate pretty freely.
1: Yeah. Thanks for asking that, Trey, and I'm, I'm glad you looked at our website uh, our imperative is, is to work for the freedom and fullness of children in conflict areas. And what we all know in the whole world is that children suffer on both sides of any conflict, if it's only two sides, normally it's many sides, and that those children are often denied the fundamental things they need to survive, food being the first one, water, shelter, access to health care, and school education. And through our work in Myanmar over these years, uh, it's been affirmed many times that we occupy a very special place, and we've decided that as a team, we're going we're to do everything we can to, to take that place. And uh, where children are denied those fundamental things, whatever side of the divide they work on, we will work to provide those things. Um, obviously this produces complexity in our own decision-making. Um, it also has made us run afoul of, you know, um, of, of, uh, normal processes in the aid, uh, process, especially as it relates to state level aid, where it's a, more of a diplomatic imperative than a moral one. And And, and, uh, but, but we have found a place to complement the large scale aid that's happening uh, at state level uh, in order to uh, salvage the lives and and, uh, and 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 work for the freedom and fullness of children who are in that place of suffering and denial of basic services. So there is there's no clean, simple, equation neither for Myanmar or for Syria or Yemen for example uh, but but we continue to strive to to negotiate for access to children who suffer starve or otherwise are denied those basic services uh, in order to provide them for them
2: Steve Gumer the president of partners relief and development Steve thanks again for
1: your time thanks Trey